Welcome to Burn News Current Affairs Podcast with Jeremy Deacon. Listen at your leisure on www.burnnews.com. I'm here today for Burn News latest podcast with the Executive Director of Age Concern, Claudette Fleming. Uh, thank you very much, uh, Dr. Fleming, I should say, for sparing some time. Um, do you want to just do a little bit of explanation first of all before we really get into the questioning about age concerns role and what you do? Absolutely. We uh, have been around since 1978. At that time we started out as a voluntary society. But somewhere around 2000, um, the directors decided to uh, become a, a non-profit organization, a limited uh, by guarantee company, registered company in Bermuda. Uh, to provide services uh, for the well-being of uh, older citizens. Our specific mission today is to promote the rights and responsibilities of older adults um, in an effort to enhance their quality of life. So we have three strategic focuses. Uh, Advocacy is one, um, providing timely information and access to information uh, is the other, and then engaging our membership and growing that so that they're using uh, the information we're providing and that we're advocating effectively on their behalf. I, I mentioned that it's now Dr. Fleming because you have recently uh, received a doctorate. I have. Congratulations. Uh, thank you. Thank you. I graduated in June. Um, it was a labor of love for seven years. I did a qualitative study on um, transforming fiscal aging policy, the case of, of Bermuda. I was, um, in this study, I, I interviewed uh, six individuals ranging um, in socioeconomic uh, and racial uh, composition. And um, I wanted to describe what it's like living as an older adult in Bermuda and some of the challenges that older adults are actually facing using the voices. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, we all have our presumptions, but I wanted to hear uh, from this group. And they had so much in common not only uh, with each other, but also uh, in common with people around the world. And some of the things that they are concerned about are some of the things that older people everywhere are concerned about. Food, housing, um, uh, money for expenses, and so on. And um, you would think that, um, well, if you know anything about um, psychology, if you know about Maslow's hierarchy of needs, you start at basic needs. But I guess what this uh, study showed is that you end at basic needs as well. Um, And that was irrespective of income. People are still concerned about these things, how to uh, manage their income, uh, maintain uh, health uh, was another thing, Um, and also still be engaged in meaningful interactions and and relationships. Mm -hmm. Um, And there was a distinction um, in how people were faring um, economically, um, some um, that I interviewed were on financial assistance. Uh, some refused to be on financial assistance, but were finding um, other means, work, part-time work, and so on. Others, um, uh, asset rich, cash poor, considering selling um, their homes, etc. Um, and and then others just wanting to downsize and recognizing that you know money will come to an end at mm. some point. Uh, so um, every senior, I think, irrespective of age, has this issue of considering, you know, um, my the end of my life will come at some point. I'm in that third uh, part of my life, and um, how am I going to 
you know, um, coexist or, you know, with my resources mm. and not, not live past my resources. And that is something very common that we see. Um, and it doesn't really have anything to do with income groups. People outlive their money, mm. you know, and um, pe- we've seen families having to um, sell homes that they might have been thought to have inherited at some point, um, exhaust resources so that they can uh, qualify for financial assistance. And what really takes you over the edge is the quality of your health and your mental and physical uh, health. And um, how soon you're actually going to need, um, you know, nursing care services and the extent. Okay, so um, if you if you are um, unhealthy or needing custodial care at very early ages, you're going to exhaust your resources mm, pretty very quickly. quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you're sick near the end of your life, um, and and in some cases, some people miss institutionalization institutionalization altogether um, which for many would be ideal which is which is culturally not accepted but um, we tend to want to go to the hospital to mm. have children to do pretty much anything but to die at home is, is probably as natural as as it gets and and not to sound crude is a lot cheaper uh, for the system it's a lot cheaper you know but we don't have the necessary services in place palliative care supportive home care etc to keep people at home so uh, these are things I found, um, and my um, recommendations was to continue to look to the market. Mm. Um, I disappointed a lot of my um, social, my former um, teachers and so on in the field of psychology because you know they want me to be some sort of staunch socialist. But um, I also have to deal with the reality of the environment. I talked a lot about the economic environment of Bermuda and that it is a capitalist country. And, you know, we don't have um, the, the tax structure or even the supportive services. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then how are we going to look to the market um, to assist older adults to age more, more successfully? And some of the recommendations is definitely allow them to work longer so that they can continue to contribute to uh, their own well-being. But then also to look at... Um, ways that we can turn assets into cash because that's one of the biggest problems. We don't have these vehicles um, and you know whereas mortgages have been talked about uh, for some time but we don't have that necessarily so they you know they're sitting on literally collectively billions of dollars. Mm. We're looking for money for how to how but they have billions of dollars that somehow we haven't figured out how we can convert that into to cash to support them um, reasonably. Um, also talking about international intergenerational wealth transfer um, and the fact that you know wealth will be transferred onto the next generation. So does the next generation have some type of obligation or can some contractual arrangements be made, whether informal or formal, as to care um, moving forward? So those were some of the kind of um, recommendations that were made. Uh, and, and you've given those recommendations to, to government here, have you? So I have not. Um, I have not decided um, what I will do with the information, whether I will actually publish it um, at some point. I am sharing a lot of it. It will, it will be old news by the time. I think this is about the third interview where I've shared the information, and some of it needs to be updated now because it was a seven-year process. Mm. Uh, but I have not. I did send it off um, to, I believe I did, to the Minister of Finance, 
uh, to share some of, of the information with him as well. You, you raise a lot of interesting points there. Um, one of the things you, you touched on was the economy. Mm -hmm. uh, and yes, it is a very capitalist society. Uh, I think, this is my opinion, I stress, but it seems the charities here carry out uh, the services that most social services mm -hmm. would, would carry out in other countries. But coming back to the economics of it, we're, we're told statistically that Bermuda's out of recession. Um, we, we see apparently there's more confidence in the economy. Um, are, are your members reflecting that? Are, are the staff telling you that the, your membership is reflecting that, or, or, or are they still or are they falling behind? Mm -hmm. Well, I would caution that I'm speaking anecdotally mm -hmm. from what we experience, and and just to give context. Uh, we get about 1,600 service contacts uh, in any given year, and we have a membership of about 3,500 people, um, and a thousand of those or so in a year attend our information education uh, seminars, of which we do evaluations and we ask questions like this. Um, but I am still speaking anecdotally. I would say that at the height of the recession, we were seeing more people in need of immediate assistance. It was a shock to the system. Um, and you may recall that our Belco Hardship Fund grew, as, mm. as, and, and the community asked for that. That is not a program that we necessarily built ourselves. The community asked for it. Belco took a hold of it and created a neighbor helping neighbor plan and, and kind of enhanced it a bit. Um, and then, then we were required, because of the people that were coming in, to expand it to prescription drugs, food, and then handyman, because we were doing that service. I don't see um, as many... Um, requests for that type of support um, and the extent of support that we saw at that time. I think what was happening where seniors were placed in homes with families, they still have an obligation to contribute financially and they were not able to, they were either being asked to do more because daughter, husband, whomever was out of work mm. um, or um, they were looking at being displaced because, you know, um, people had to move and, and make adjustments. We don't see as much as that. Although Balco remains the number one, 58% of our hardship uh, support last year went to supporting people with electricity bills. Um, today, I'm more concerned about the income gap that is happening insidiously, if you will, or very slowly, and we're not, we're not recognizing it. Um, either because people aren't prepared, a combination of people are not prepared and they take for granted, um, you know, um, the lifestyle that they had in retirement, irrespective of where the economy is, you have to make adjustments. Mm. Uh, and whether people are understanding what those adjustments may be. I think as a community, as a whole, we also suffer from not living within our means because in times past, we had access to money, either through credit or, you know, equity in our homes and so on. And that access is not so readily available. So what we're seeing now are different. It's, it's not food and health care. It may be, I can't maintain this house anymore. Right. It's a little different. Mm -hmm. um, when, you, when you talk about income gap, can you yes. be more specific? Is that, is that a question that um, people haven't planned for their retirement, and therefore mm -hmm. their income is falling behind? Right. Can you be a bit more specific in what you well, mean? Well, not that? in the sense that, because there is a kind of, um, there, there can be a judgment perspective. Well, you should have saved more money. Um, and, and we think, well, most people, I think you and I would agree. You know, we look back in our lives and say, oh, we should have, if we knew then what we know now, you know. 
Um, but no one can anticipate that a loaf of bread would cost seven dollars. You just you would just never be able to anticipate that. So a lot of the costs that people are experiencing right now, they could have never fathomed. Mm. Okay, so be, to be prepared for that can be very difficult. Um, I think the income gap has come because of people have a lot of people have retired prematurely. Right. Right. And um, or it is happening because they're retiring, and so they're using up um, their pension funds, and then pensions are changing. You see in a number of organizations where their retired employees are having to take these organizations to court because mm-hmm. they're saying, "Oh, you know, we're looking at this defined uh, benefit, but we we can no longer afford it. Uh, so we, you know, we may have to cut it. Uh, we, by the way, we may switch everybody to future care, and people are in shock." You know, um, and so, and I never saw this coming. I mean, to tell you, Jeremy, I never saw a time where the where existing retirees. I'm talking about your your um, utility work retirees, your government retirees, would ever have to be concerned about their defined benefit packages or their health care coverage. Never saw that coming. Um, but recently, we saw what two years ago where the government um, increased premiums for um, the um, non-working spouses of retirees. In other words, they pay more than the workers themselves. And I guess because they, were, they started to recognize, my goodness, especially in the case of males. males the male is probably passed on. He's mm-hmm. died. He's, mm-hmm. He was the employee. Mm-hmm. But the widow is there and she's drawing and she never was employed by government. It's just a benefit that we give. So I understand the, the economics of it, but no one would have anticipated now that you're going to be paying, you know, so much more for adequate health care. So I think that's mm-hmm. where the where the gaps are coming. There, mm-hmm. there, there were these assumptions that I... Oh yes, I should take this package, you know, or I should, or um, I'm fine. I'm on my husband's insurance, and I don't have to be concerned. Mm-hmm. And then you're finding, wait a minute, I don't have that uh, anymore. So, is this resulting in a lot of people working a lot later in life? Not really, because people are not hiring. Right. Okay. So they're a bit people. of a catch twenty two. Absolutely. And I I was on the radio the other day saying that younger people. Um, are better producers, in other words, economically, they, they're quicker, and this is a fact. And uh, we didn't have a call in, because I knew if we had a call in, not because I felt that way, just we just ran out of time, but if we had a call in, I knew people would take me to task, what do you mean, you know, don't you believe that we shouldn't be discriminated against? And I do believe that. But there is this reality, in, in, and again, um, even having done the doctorate, which is in the, uh, I have a doctorate in diplomacy and the political economy, so we're starting to understand the economy. The economy is driven by young people who can produce. That, that is a fact. Mm. And so um, when companies are looking to hire people today, um, they are negotiating with younger people because you know, they, they're techno- technologically savvy. They, um, get, they're getting paid way less than someone who would be accustomed to a management position, the more flexible, et cetera, et cetera. So that is playing itself out for retirees, and not even just retirees. I think, you know, at 50, right, it becomes difficult. And we see more people in the 50-ish categories 
seeking financial help because it, it you're almost not marketable, you know, anymore. That's interesting. I mean, these people, uh, have they given up their jobs? Have they taken early retirement or are they just struggling in the economy generally? Some have given up um, their jobs for a retirement package and finding, hey, I need to do some more. Some have, a lot have been made redundant. And, you know, most, interestingly enough, most of the women that you would have walked past, you would have brought back five or six of our um, uh, volunteers and employees in today, Mm -hmm. have worked in the bank. I think we underestimate how many bank workers, whether it be any of the three, um, are actually no longer there. Over a period of time, they were made, you know, redundant. So we have a lot of those folks who are in the category of, of, of being redundant and um, made redundant from employment and have outrun that money and have not, the economy has, you know, slowed down, so there wasn't as many jobs available, and now you're older, so it's not just a double jeopardy, it's a triple and in some Mm. cases quadruple jeopardy. There's no opportunity for retraining? Absolutely, I think so. But I think you have to have a work environment that uh, embraces wanting to hire older people and retirees. And you don't think that exists here? Not to any demonstrated. Because there are companies you know, around the world. I mean, there's, there's a there's a, a DIY store a chain in the UK that mm-hmm. actually specialises almost in employing older people. Right. Simply because they put more nails in the wall than the younger people. Right. Know how to make it stick. Right. Right. Is there that kind of opportunity here? Do you think? I think there could be. I know of companies. I won't name them that actually have retirement contracts. And they have roles for retirees right. and conditions for retirees. Mm. I like the idea of retirement contracts because, you know, sometimes um, I actually wonder if it's even right to ask people past 65 to work long days and do all this. There are some things that you, as you get older, you just don't want to do. Are you appreciating me here? Mm. You, know, like mm. you just don't want to do those things. Mm. Um, but there may be other things that on your own, self-directed, you can actually do. Um, and is there opportunity for that? So there, my understanding, I, well, actually, I know this for a fact, there are some companies that actually have retiree contracts that are kind of like contracted work and, mm-hmm. you know, a certain percentage to future care or whatever, and, um, and the person is essentially a consultant or mm-hmm. something. I think we could do more of that. It certainly, it certainly seems to be a fact of life that um, you're going to have to work later in life. Yes, that is a fact. That is a fact. You won't be able to afford to retire no. at 65 soon. But, but nor would you probably want to. Um, I find that um, our retirees are still very busy. They're dealing with grandkids. They're volunteering. Sometimes we, we firm people, we can't find them, <laughs> you know, because they're keeping their minds active. And I think people do miss having to get up and go and do something very productive. They may not want to do as much of it, mm. but they still want to be engaged. And that's very healthy. That's very good for Bermuda. We don't want isolated, lonely, um, non-productive people of any age. So you're, so you're seeing your challenges change, really, aren't you now? You're, the the, the right. needs of people are changing yes. quite, quite significantly. And as you were preparing for the interview, which I didn't start because I wanted to get into into the interview, you, you asked me... Uh, about whether the recession is still lingering, Mm. in essence. Um, I would use different terminology. I would say that a shift has occurred, okay? A shift has occurred. It is is a new reality. And um, we're, and again, this is anecdotally, Mm -hmm. um, where I'm seeing a lot of the shift 
um, but it really speaks to me as a shift is in the Portuguese community as an example. We, we, we you know, I get a lot of, of, of this um, where, um, you know, perhaps father and a piece of property, um, maybe the son, he didn't work, he didn't have to every now and then, you know, he might have helped with the business or whatever the case may be. Um, the daughters, women in Bermuda tend to be more of the workers in any, you know, you know, whatever descent we are, we tend to be more um, you know, employed in their everyday. It's a great part of our culture, I think. And what I'm seeing is now these older um, persons of Portuguese descent having to now think about, now, do I keep this property? Do I sell it so I can have more cash for my retirement? But when they do that, they upset, you know, if, if the son's living there, if other kids are living there, then what happens to them? Mm. So we're seeing a lot of that. And I, I, you're seeing a lot of people, you're seeing a lot of people in the construction industry that you might not have seen before, in the landscaping business that you might not have seen before, because um, the parents are no longer in a position to supplement lifestyles and yeah. so on and so forth. And that will cause legal problems if it isn't sorted out um, correctly. Um, it means a shift in the way families operate. And their dynamics. That's right, mm. and and um, that can be the say that can be the say apart in any community. And it's happening. It's happening for in the black community as well. You know, um, because now where where you thought dad might have a legacy, he doesn't. <laughs> you know, because he's going to sell it. To, to, live off. to live off and maybe your sister's going to help and she's going to kick in and take over one person, one child or a mm. son mm. and everyone's not going to get. And so it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. So the wealth transfer that everybody's talking about at the moment yes. because of the baby boomers yes. coming at the age of dying or retiring yes. isn't really going to happen in Bermuda then? I think we're missing a lot of it because which is a shame because the reality is that we don't have a safety net, mm. a universal one for seniors. And so if you have the means, there will be, a, there is an expectation. Remember, in order to qualify for financial assistance, and maybe this is right, you got to have nothing practically. Mm -hmm. So there is an expectation that whatever you have, you exhaust that. And yeah. never mind if you live to 102. No, sure. That's good. That's an interesting theory, actually, because I mentioned the wealth transfer, and the, and the economists are saying it's, it's the biggest the world's ever going to, ever going to see, in in terms of you know, what, like I say, the baby boomers uh, do retire and over. Yeah, that's going to have quite an interesting social impact, isn't it? As well, uh, it is. Um, dynamics, and I'm not prospect. That's right. I'm not saying this is true for every person. So no. some people may experience, but I do think like. Um, in my generation, it will skip a generation. Mm. So grandkids might get some residual. <laughs> but because of the state that we're in now, because, you know, if you're in that sandwich generation, your parents are getting older, they're looking at you, you're, you got a mortgage, you're leveraged to the hilt, mm. you got car payments, a mortgage, kids in school. They're saying, well, listen, we need to take care of ourselves for as long as we can. So if we have to sell everything, then that's what we do. It's a bit self-perpetuating as well, isn't it? In the sense, it, that it can be because that that generation in between the parents and the grand and the grandkids, yes, they're actually going to have to work longer. That's right. That's right. In life, they won't be able to afford to retire either. No, 
So it becomes a bit of a vicious cycle, doesn't it? It can be. It can be. And I, I Which in turn is going to put more pressure on charities. Or could it put more pressure on charities, I should ask, in the longer term? Well, that's interesting because we can only do so much because, you know, with the, with the way we're structured, too, we don't get huge amounts of, of, of government support. You can only tap into the good, you know, well-being of, of 60,000 people so many times, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. And um, international business, while it is here and it is a great contributor and perhaps can, can contribute more, uh, is not as local if if that makes sense, as it used to be, a lot of people within international business are not Bermudian. So, um, at least at the very top in the decision making, and so um, the relevance connectivity that perhaps we used to have, mm. you, you know, there were, I've said this before. There was a time that you could pick up the phone and call a Brian Dupereau or Brian O'Hara. These people you would know, you don't know. They may not even be here living, you know, physically here. Well, the other effect is, of course, every time a, a reinsurance company merges, yes, one company supports one charity Absolutely. and the two companies supporting two charities. Absolutely. Which kind of brings me on to my next question. Are there, is the charitable sector generally, um, in your opinion, still finding it quite tough? Are, are conditions oh, quite yeah. tough for fundraising? Tougher than we've ever still. found it before, yeah. And again, I, I have a philosophy that if we could bring value to the economy, if we could not uh, depend on government, I, I think that would be a great thing because then you would be adding value. Mm. It's another sector that can be tapped into because at the end of the day, who is the person who gets the donation? Who is the person who pays the taxes? Those are the same people. So if you could find another means of making drawing income, that would be great. The problem is we haven't figured out what that is. And um, the um, the government is is getting tighter, not just in Bermuda, all around the world, mm. tighter in, they just don't want to give out money, mm. period, to stuff that, that they feel they shouldn't be or don't have to do. So, um, yeah, it is it is pretty tough right now you you know you're seeing the strong survive right now in the charitable um sector and um you know we are i think i'm the only full-time employee at age concern and then i have a part-timer and then we have some stipend volunteers and that's the way a lot of people are going some organizations don't have the flexibility they have to hire doctors and psychiatrists and all of that so they don't have the flexibility to do it we are an administrative body we assess people we advocate we so you know we have more flexibility uh in in um in in the use of volunteers and that that's going to be critical for our survival actually uh, moving forward those things that we can get through in-kind services or through donated services and that includes time but yeah it's gonna you know if Bermuda doesn't build an aging infrastructure some way to support older people so that they maintain which is a part of our mission their quality of life um, we will change the way Bermuda looks significantly how so well, as you say, um, the wealth uh, gap or the wealth transfer, who will it be made to if it's not ma- being made to our own children? Mm. 
what are the chances of that kind of infrastructure being built though? Oh, well, it comes down to for us to will, and I don't want to sound like a bro- broken record. The, the chances could be a hundred percent if we had the political will to do it. And uh, we did a study uh, successful uh, towards a successful aging framework in two thousand and eleven. I think we looked at a number of countries. Uh, it's on our website, uh, ageconcern.pm, and without exception, there were no exceptions. Anywhere where there was a plan on how to tackle aging, the fiscal part of it, and so on, government led it, without an exception. And we're not saying that government needs to do it. We're saying that they have to take the responsibility to ensure that a plan is in place that reflects what the Bermuda populace believes, dreams, aspires to as a country that is getting older. It does seem sometimes, and I'm talking generally, that uh, governments like to put their head in the sands when it comes to uh, ageing, mm-hmm. because they know it's an intractable problem mm-hmm. that uh, is impossible to solve. Right. Well, not all governments. Look at what they're doing. Generally speaking. Yes, generally. Look what they're doing in Japan. You know, um, in in having laws where people have to, you know, take care of their parents and and they're putting in um, home care supports and because they recognize you're either going to face it today or you're going to deal with it tomorrow. Mm. It can bankrupt an entire country. Mm. Look at Social Security in the United States or or in the UK. In the UK, yeah. yeah. You know, you, you cannot not deal with it. So to put you on the spot, uh, if the government here were to lead, what three ways should it lead in? Well, first of all, it should get serious about a plan. And it has it has a framework for a plan, I know, because I chaired uh, 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 the first season's advisory committee that put one together. It needs meat on it. Um, second, they need to, once they get that plan, give the people who uh, are going to lead it the legislative authority to do so. Social Security is a part of, is it an act of 1945 put together by um, President Roosevelt? And it's been going in the United States ever since. Well, that's what we need Mm -hmm. because it becomes a moving target when we do not have legislation Mm -hmm. to deal with and people don't have a clear understanding of what it is that we're trying to achieve and mandate it to do. Okay? The, se- the third thing is then we've got to give it support. We've got to give it money and we've got to give it administrative support. Right now we have an office called Aging and Disability Services. It was once called the National Office for Seniors and the Physically mm-hmm. Challenged. With that name, National Office for Seniors and Physically Challenged, when I listen to that, I think of policy, right? I think of funding, mm-hmm. uh, you know. Mm-hmm. It's now aging and disability service. When I hear that, I think of programs and mm. clinical. Mm. So it's ratched down. I understand why it is, because you know they understand they can only do so much. Yeah. But what it what it reminds me is we have still yet to make a national commitment to take on aging. In fact, we back down from it. No, we're no longer looking at it as a national thing. We 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 are satisfied in band aids. Treatment, case management, right? Although the office has a, a policy analyst, but you know, you would think that with what you're facing, every finance in particular would have a focus on aging and what and what that looks like, and there would be 
well, in any ministry that you look at. So it's tactical, not strategic? Yes. In a word. Yes. Um, just change the subject slightly. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm kind of wrapping up the interview. There's been an awful lot of doom and gloom. <laughs> what, what's the good news? <laughs> <laughs> well, the good news is that we are getting older. True. And that is a, um, a sign of some success because I think Bermuda has um, very low infant uh, mortality, as an example. Um, expensive and complicated as our healthcare system is, it seems to be servicing us. Um, in, all, in my interviews, um, you know, I mentioned that one of the wealthiest interviewees was the sickest, had three pacemakers put in. And the poorer ones weren't as sick, mm. but all thriving. Um, and, you know, I think early one or two were in their 60s. We got people in here who claim to be 80. They don't look a day with 50. <laughs> so seniors are getting younger and younger. And we are obviously doing something right. As much as, yes, we've got the obesity issue. We've got the health issue. So, so people are chronically ill. They're, they're surviving. And to a large extent have a quality of life in that they have their mental capacity and they have their physical capacity notwithstanding that there are limitations. So so these are these are the good things that tell us that, you know, our our um economy or even our, our social environment is in fact a developed one. Right? Indeed. Yes. We, we could come back uh, full circle, couldn't we? Because those are the same problems, same issues that cause problems later on. Yes. But uh, I, I guess until there's a, an overarching strategic policy, yeah. it's going to be difficult to address. That's true. Dr. Fleming, thank you very much for your time. Thank we you. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to Burn News Current Affairs Podcast with Jeremy Deacon. Listen at your leisure on www.burnews.com, your 24-7 Bermuda news source.